How bad is the newly discovered Bash bug? I'm Matthew Schwartz, Managing Editor for Europe for Information Security Media Group, and I'm joined today by security expert Alan Woodward to discuss the Bash bug flaw, which is also being referred to as Shellshock. Alan is a visiting professor at the Department of Computing at the University of Surrey, and also a cybersecurity advisor to Europol. So Alan, what exactly is the Bash vulnerability? Yeah, actually, not that many people these days, I suppose, are that familiar with Unix. But it's worth starting off if we're going to talk about Bash bug, about what is Bash. And Bash stands for the born again shell. And in Unix, well, in fact, most operating systems, you can have a shell. And a shell is just uh, basically it's a command line. It's where you can run individual commands on a line. So people that are used to using Microsoft Windows, for example, can type CMD and get a little window up where you can type commands. That's a command shell. When Unix was developed, the traditional one that was the default shell was called the born shell. And then in about well, the late 80s, there was some controversy, I suppose is the best word. People didn't like various aspects of it. So they decided to produce a free version of it, which is what's still now available under the GNU license from the Free Software Foundation called Bash, which stood for the Born Again shell. So it was meant to be the successor to the Born shell. And it became very popular. And for several years, it was maintained by the same chap through to about 92, I think it was, when it was handed over from 89 to 92 handed over to somebody else who's been looking after it pretty much ever since i think so it's really sort of one guy one or two people have looked after this thing built it and looked after it but it's become embedded in all sorts of different systems basically anything with any kind of unix provenance tends to have bash and that includes things like apple's mac the macOS has got bash in it in fact it's got a very old version of bash in it and because this bug that we're all talking about has been there for so long it looks like it's actually been there for a good 20 years maybe even the full 25 years we're not absolutely sure yet but just about every system that's ever had it in there is running this rather vulnerable piece of software and it's that that i suppose is what's worrying everybody the fact that if you just take the simple statistics if you assume bash is in all the versions of linux unix out there then what most people don't realize is that 56% of the web servers on the internet were running Apache, which he runs on Linux, and hence they potentially are vulnerable to this problem. So that's a very large number. I mean, I think it was last week we passed the 1 billion mark of active websites. So if you assume half of those are running Linux, then you know we're talking about half a billion. And compare that with the Heartbleed bug, which was 500,000, and people said it was a pretty catastrophic or potentially catastrophic bug. This time we're talking about something that could be up to 10 times worse, although at the moment we're all still trying to find out what the real damage is. Heartbleed, also the OpenSSL vulnerability, that affected about two years' worth of versions, didn't it? Indeed, absolutely. We think that everything up to version 4.3 of Bash is affected, and potentially everything from the very beginning. Part of the problem as well is that Bash is used in order to run so-called CGI scripts, which are a common gateway interface. It's a way of, uh, take something like a logon page, for example, that, that might well be written using Bash scripts and use CGI. And those are running in things like Wi-Fi routers, lots of embedded devices. So potentially, it's not just the 500 million website servers out there that are vulnerable. It's all these embedded devices as well. So the numbers could be huge. I think whatever we're scrabbling around for at the moment is trying to work out exactly what is and isn't affected. Do we have any sense yet of what is and isn't affected? I've seen some commentary, for example, from Rapid7, which runs the Metasploit open source penetration testing framework, saying that most 
things won't be affected. And I've seen that picked up elsewhere too. But when you talk about over half a billion servers and an unknown number of internet connected devices, even if most devices aren't affected, that's still quite a lot of devices. Exactly. It's the numbers that make it potentially catastrophic. You only need a small percentage of those to actually be vulnerable. I think a lot of what Rapid7 are saying is because, um, I mean, they've already got a Metasploit exploit up on the website that can test this out. And it's interesting that it's actually very difficult to do a simple scan for this because it's actually these interactions, these, you know, the way that CGI is used with Bash, for example, that will lead to the actual vulnerability. So it's actually quite difficult. I think the safest thing is just to assume that if you're running something that runs Bash, then you need to upgrade. I think the reason they're saying they're not vulnerable is, for example, they might be behind a firewall that stops it or something of that sort. The the ports that are affected, you you might be able to close those. They may have been closed down. However, one of the things, of course, people are pointing out is that you might be able to turn this into a worm and that could get past the firewalls, etc., and then be able to operate from within the network, at which point it would be able to exploit the vulnerability. Not to be alarmist, but I've heard all manner of objects could be affected. Well, yes, and some of the key systems run Linux. The internet is very much a spider's web, but it has lots of nodes, if you like, and uh, quite a few of those critical systems run Linux. If some of those were attacked, then potentially could do some serious damage. The problem we've all got at the moment is we know the potentially maximum size of the problem, but we don't know what the actual size of the problem is. It's something that needs to be taken care of, and I have to say, the Linux providers, you know, people like Red Hat, they immediately put out fixes for this. They're not saying, oh, this isn't a problem. They're saying this is a problem. In fact, people like Red Hat had a really good blog up very quickly last night after the disclosure and said, look, this is a real problem. Here's the fix. Please go and apply it. So it's relatively simple to fix. But of course, if you do have a very large number of systems that are affected, you know, we saw with Heartbleed, 500,000 machines were found to be vulnerable. After several weeks of the fixes being out, we still had something like 250 to 300,000 were still not patched. It really does rely upon systems admin professionals getting out there, being aware of it and actually patching the problem. And as I said before, some of these embedded systems like Wi-Fi routers, network disk drives, things that actually have bash running on them, the problem there is that they may never have an update. Quite often the manufacturers don't issue updates and it very much relies on you keeping an eye on the manufacturer's website and waiting for the firmware to come out. One of the other cautionary notes I've seen, in particular from Robert Graham at Errata Security, who's been scanning the internet first for the Heartbleed vulnerability, which is, I think, how we have those statistics that you mentioned. And now he's been starting to do scans to look at this vulnerability. As he's noted, as Rapid7 has noted, there's multiple ways of exploiting this. Yeah, depends if it's behind the firewall or not. There may be some novel techniques we haven't seen yet, of course. And one of the things that he mentioned was there might be not just a lot of legacy devices, but a lot of legacy code running in places that you have no idea about. Oh, yeah. I mean, simple web apps, if they're using certain calls to some of the libraries, could very well be vulnerable. The bit that really makes this complicated to untangle, in some ways, it's quite a simple bug. But in other ways, it's not because it's all these interactions. It's all the, you know, what's interacting with what. It's not just the operating system. It's all the web apps. It's the, you know, the coded login pages. It's it's all the things that rely upon the operating system running underneath it and make calls to bash that potentially could drive coaching horses through them. I mean, it's worth, it's worth saying that Robert, for example, when he was doing those scans, he developed a, a very interesting little tool called MassScan, 
which you can scan the whole internet very quickly for these things. He did some initial scans last night when we all became aware of the vulnerability. And very quickly, you know, he was saying, oh, I can only find a few thousand that appear to be vulnerable, but very quickly realized that it was actually to do with the way he was doing the scans. And so he was finding 3,000 that were vulnerable just on port 80, just on a web server, and it shouldn't have been there at all. Never mind only on vulnerable servers. He immediately started multiplying that up by 10, thinking, well, if I do this, if I do that, and then you've got all these interactions. So very quickly, you can see that it might not actually reach the full 500 million being vulnerable but at the same time it really looks like it could be a significant fraction of those which would be you know could be tens of millions everybody got very upset with heartbleed at 500,000 it's almost like we've been prepped yeah I, I mean and it's interesting this hasn't taken off in the general media in quite the way that some people thought it would do especially for example that apple macs are affected here this isn't just sort of esoteric servers that are you know behind the scenes that you know, people's macs potentially if the thing i've been advising people to do is just turn remote login off to stay safe. People have yet to understand how this could be exploited very quickly within the disclosure of the vulnerability. Within a matter of a couple of hours, I started seeing proof of concept exploits appearing. And as I say, Metasploit very quickly had one up for their package. We've yet to see how, once people fully understand how this works, how it could be exploited. And I suspect the hackers are going to find this very, very attractive. And so I wouldn't be at all surprised if they're, if they're not, as we speak, rushing around thinking of new and exciting ways to exploit it. Now, for Mac users, you mentioned recommending that they turn off remote login. Yeah. You've also said that businesses or anyone using Bash should be looking at what version they have and seeing if it needs to be upgraded. Yeah. What other advice would you offer to people who might be affected by this? If you've got devices like routers, disk drives, etc., that run firmware, you might very well find that, very difficult to know if it is, but you might find it's susceptible because it might well be using Bash in an embedded form. And so the best thing to do is keep an eye on the websites of the manufacturers and see if they issue updates and apply them as soon as possible. Those three things are really all you can do. We're very much in the hands of the vendors at the moment to come out with the updates. We just need to keep an eye on the, the various vendors that, that we all rely upon for our, our Linux, our devices, and all, all the embedded code that we run. Is this preview, do you think, as we move towards a more Internet of Things sort of ecosystem where everything we have is connecting to the Internet, is this some kind of a preview of the challenges we might be facing going forward when all of these devices, many of which are built using the same foundational elements, sprout a vulnerability. Yes, I think I think you're spot on, actually. The problem is, you know, whether you've got a light bulb, a toaster or a fridge that's being web enabled, quite often it'll be something like Linux that'll be used under the hood and Bash will be an inevitable part of that. We've talked to the, the, about the fact that we, we passed one billion active web servers, I think it was last week. That could be many billions by the time we add on all these clever devices that are attaching. And they, by their nature, tend to be much more lightweight. People do things in a much more lightweight way. They use the free open source software. And that's exactly as we did with OpenSSL and the Heartbleed bug, with Bash and the, the latest Bash bug. We're now finding that where people have used this sort of free open source software, it becomes very popular. But unfortunately, that means that you get this sort of force multiplier effect that you only need a relatively simple bug in it. And it has a massive effect because it's just used so widely. And I think... What's going to happen with the Internet of Things? There'll be a cost pressure to keep all the costs down, so it will be using a lot of open source free software, and it's just almost inevitable. It's it's not going to be checked to quite the same rigor, and it's compounded by the fact that they're then a lot more difficult to update, even if you found a problem and had an update to it. Thank you very much for joining me today, Alan. It's a pleasure. I'm Matthew Schwartz with Information Security Media Group. <laughs>